Welcome to America's Top Robinsons. May this class be for Rafua Shalema, for Miriam Baranita, for Ben and Bina Eti Bat Sasha Elka. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Robinsons YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you are the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I'm very happy to have on our show today, Miriam Raquel Feldman. Miriam is a wife, mom, and somatic healer, a trauma and anxiety specialist, relationship coach, and the author of a new book called God Said What?, she helps empower women to trust the wisdom of their bodies, emotions, and souls, as well as blogging about the mystical happenings of an ever-changing world. Thank you so much, Miriam, for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Sure, sure. So I'll start out with um, with my coaching stuff. Um, so I was I was in a lot of pain many, many years ago. I had gone on a more observant journey and then lost myself in the process. Um, and you've talked about this before about, you know, taking care, doing a lot of caretaking and kind of being involved in our lives, but forgetting ourselves, losing ourselves, especially as women. Yes. And now what's so beautiful is that somatic healing is like bursting onto the, you know, into the universe. So we can get the healing that we need. So I was in a lot of pain many years ago. And I kept running to doctors, massage therapists, chiropractors, whoever could help. And finally, a massage therapist put her hand right here and she said, you are completely drained. There's nothing there. And it, it was, it woke something in me and I knew that I needed to go in a different direction than just physically looking for something that would help. And that's when I started to go to, going to you know, bookstores, use bookstores and whatever book would jump out at me at the self-help, you know, in the self-help section, I would literally take it to the library while my daughter, my youngest was in, you know, school till one o'clock. And I would just work through all the exercises. And I started to do that inner journey. Then I hired a coach for myself. Then I got training as a coach, as a somatic healer. I also took um, intuition courses, relationship courses, and I was going on my own journey, healing myself and then helping um, women heal and tap into the wisdom of their bodies and their intuition so that they can go about life in a more joyful way, um, have more clarity about moving forward and the day to day and have processes to release um, whatever is going on for them in their world. We We deal with frustration. We deal with all kinds of things, sadnesses, grief, disappointments. And as women, you know, we're very emotional beings and we're not taught. What do we do with all those emotions? Do we just go to our mind? That doesn't work. That's where we ruminate and we can make ourselves sick, God forbid. So I, you know, gathered lots of tools for myself and for other women. And that's what I do. I help women tap into the wisdom of their bodies and intuition. And along that journey, I felt compelled to write my story, my memoir, and that's called God Said What? Hashtag My Orthodox Life. And we can talk about that now or later, but yeah, it's a big part of my journey now. 
I think it's so beautiful. And we, we will definitely talk about the book later because I do believe you have so much in it that I definitely want to talk about. But I really resonate with the somatic healing that you mentioned. You know, we we as women do tend to keep a lot of things in our mind. We're thinking about he said this, she said that. We're going over conversations in our mind. It's all up here. It's all mental, you know, and it really makes us crazy. It makes us physically ill. It makes us mentally ill. It makes us nuts. It really, really does. Then we so, make everybody else crazy around us. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, I mean, today, I mean, I know I understand that you're somatic healer and you're, you're helping people. You're actually really helping people overcome their PTSD and their post-traumatic stress disorder and all this. Oh, Vera, Vera, just to let you know, I can't hear you. And it started to go out a little bit. The Is connection. It- now, now it's better, but for just a second. Okay. Thank you. Okay. I will stay closer to the microphone. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was saying that you were through somatic healing and through other modalities, people overcome their PTSD, their post-traumatic stress disorder, and their other mental and emotional issues through their through mind and body work. And somatic healing is really like, it's honestly genuinely fascinating to me. It's because it's, it's newer on my radar. So I know about it, but I don't know that much about it. So I, I know that it has helped release thousands of women from their past trauma. And I know that many of us heard of somatic healing just like I did, but not everybody knows what it is. So my question is to you is, can you please explain to us what is meant by the word somatic? I, can you talk about what somatic healing is and what it does for a person? Sure, I can do that. I'd like to, I'm I'm wondering if I should get a headset for myself also to bring more clarity, if that's possible. Sure, no problem. Hi, so somatic healing is a broad term. Somatic means body. And there's many different ways that and methods that people use. And I, I think it's different, whatever methodology they've been trained in. So the somatic healing that I work with and the basis of it is that emotions are energy in motion. And they're based in the body as physical sensations. So when someone has an interaction that doesn't feel good to them. They might feel a heaviness in their chest. Their stomach may drop. Their jaw might clench. And that's the body talking to us. When we notice these sensations in the body, that energy flows. So I'm not an energy healer. I'm not sending anything to anyone. We're working in the session through their body and it's all done on the phone. It's not even done on Zoom. And and I'm just taking them through different processes as we organically go through what they need help with in their life. So a client will share with me what's going on for them. And throughout the session, we'll be dropping into their body to see what's going on. And that kind of guides me as well um, to help them. Is there a mind thought? Because what we're thinking affects the body and what we're feeling affects the mind. And we're all walking nervous systems. Our bodies can be in fight, flight, freeze, despair. So we have processes. I have processes in my sessions to help release that as well. So um, that's that's basically what somatic healing is for me in the way that I use it. That's beautiful. I like that. I really like that concept because it seems powerful. And I want to I want to maybe even flesh it out a little bit more, but maybe if we can give an example. Is there an example like maybe we can even make up a, a problem or an issue? Of course, not naming any names, you know, maybe just like a composite of like a typical client that might call you and set up a, a somatic healing session. Like, could you maybe walk me through like a typical session, like what that would look like? I know you said it would be on the phone. So so I guess you would call them or they would call you and then how would that look? 
Yeah. So I'll give two examples. Let's start with one in marriage. Okay. So let's see, say um, a couple's interacting and the wife is frustrated about something and she says to her husband, you know, the garbage is still here. You know, you, you mentioned you were going to take it out yesterday. You know, I, why do I have to do everything? You know, I feel like I'm feeling like I'm alone and just, you said you would do it. Why aren't you doing it? Yes. So you can feel the energy with that, right? Yes. Frustration. Um, yep. Frustration, all that. So the husband on the other end, he has a nervous system too. And men are raised in a culture of, of shame, of teasing, sometimes humiliation, no vulnerability, no communication like, you know, women. Women are very nurturing, compassionate beings with each other. The men's world is not like that. It's very different. So his, his way of dealing with that kind of energy coming from her is shut down. He will walk away being upset. He won't even hear that what she's, you know, it's really just about taking the garbage out, you know, and following through, but he'll, will, he'll shut down. He'll shut down. He'll walk away. He won't talk or he'll attack back. Imagine a dog, you know, a stray dog and, you know, someone approaches the, the dog will bare their teeth. You know, they're getting defensive. So he'll either get defensive or he'll shut down. Men, most men are allergic to shame and that will feel like shame and judgment to them. However, if, if a woman uses certain tools that I share with her about marriage and communicating and also processing tools, then we can work this differently and the interaction can be different and the peace in the home could be much better. So there's a, a certain processing tool that I that I that I use and I encourage women to use, you know, outside of the session as well, not just in the session. And and it's called the ROAR process. And I have it even on my website. And it's just it's getting bigger with our energy. A lot of times we suppress, we hold in, we ruminate in the mind. This is a somatic release process to get it out of the body, be honest with ourselves, but we do it in private. That's the key. The key is we do it in private. And, and oftentimes when we go through the body, we can also tap into our intuition. So the release is done in private. And then we use marriage skills to communicate to our husbands so that they're not going to run away in shame. They're going to feel loved. They're going to feel connected. And they're going to want to, like, there have been surveys that show that men really do want to want their wives to be happy. They really do want to fulfill their wives' desires. And so the way we can we communicate can be helpful. Uh, people are, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there in the world that's very damaging to marriages. And uh, maybe we'll get to it later, but my husband and I have like a marriage program. So I'll work individually with women. Some women will just come to me. Their husbands aren't interested in working uh, in the marriage program or the women just need the help themselves. They just know something's not working here. I need help. That's one of the things that I do is marriage coaching along with the somatic healing. Cause we use that in the session. Um, sometimes if the man is willing to do work too, then, then that's part of the couple's program. And I'll still work, you know, with the woman by herself in individual sessions, but there's a lot of damage being like out there. My husband's on Twitter and there's a lot of non-Jews who are following what he's sharing. Cause he speaks constantly about marriage and they're finding truth in his words. And it's such a relief to them. 
and and it can save marriages the work that we do thank god that you know hashem is bringing that to us another example is let's say someone's you know works in an office and there's a coworker who's kind of a busybody and the coworker you know will start talking or trying to get information from the person in that office and you know we're pleasers a lot of us especially women we want to make sure that you know that other person feels comfortable they're maybe asking us for information or prying and we might feel uncomfortable like you know setting boundaries but their body knows that it doesn't like it and that's why we drop into the body because in the mind there's all this rationalization i should i should be nice i should this i should that the shouldings got to go out the window and we put in words like choose to or i could which is much more you know tension free for the body and again we just drop into the body wow when that person coworker said that did that it didn't feel good and that's the first place we start is with honesty what's going on inside here i love it is that is it almost like intuition like we're tapping into our intuition we tap into our intuition through the body. So first we need to process what's coming up for us energetically in the body through those physical sensations, through those emotions, sad, mad, grief, uh, alarm, fear. And then when we do that, we process and we release, then we can hear intuition. And other times we can hear intuition just because Hashem decides to give it to us as well. Um, but it's interesting because in the time of Gullis, the soul enlivens the body. In the time of Geula, the body enlivens the soul. So we're much more connected through our body to our intuition. It's fascinating. I love that. I didn't know that. Um, wow. Wow. Okay. So that makes sense because a lot of, you know, in our modern culture, we're very focused on the body, like right now. Now, yeah, nowadays. And again, on that somatic, which is very cool because we're rolling, we're, revealing more Gaula light into the world. And this is how it's very cool. There, mm -hmm. It all comes together with Hasidus and oneness and Hashem. And when your eyes are open and you've got that kind of higher sense and vision that we get from learning, the learning we do from Torah, it's wow. It's amazing, isn't it? That really is. Yeah, everything blends together. Everything fits together mm -hmm. so beautifully. And I love that we, that you said once you have the awareness of it, because everything seems could seem so scattered, like different puzzle pieces and nothing is fitting. But once you have the awareness of what's really going on, then you could see how this this piece that seemingly does not fit with that piece, how they actually really do go together. It's really, yes. really, it's very interesting. Yes. Um. So I know that you help people get really, really clear about who who they are and what they want emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And you really help people align with their soul. And this, we very, very much need this. I hear this all the time, you know, um, you're not living in alignment or you need to live in alignment. Like I hear people talking like that all the time. It's a very much the lingo right now, I, I guess in my world that I'm hearing. And so you really help people align with their soul. You help people to live in alignment, which is so powerful. So I want to see if you could maybe talk to us about what, what that means, first of all, what it means to live in alignment and also how you help people align with their soul. Yeah. So similar to what I was just sharing before in terms of the processing and getting honest with what's going on for us, that's how we align with the individual person that we are, that 
that God has gifted us to be. We all have different paths. We all have different strengths. There's there's so much uh, beautiful information out there. It's it's kind of like a lot of times, and I'll be coaching people in their 40s, 50s, or 60s who had so much damage in their childhood because they couldn't learn the way the school was teaching them. And if you imagine if someone says to like a cat, a dog, a bird, and a fish, go climb that tree. Well, guess what? Not not all of them can, you know, do that. It's different. Right. So we all have different learning styles. We all have different personality styles. We have different natures. And that's one thing that I do share with women, how important it is to to recognize, accept our natures and our way of learning. And there, there are ways to do that. Uh, and also, again, tap into how your body's reacting to certain things. There's something called the body compass. Um, does this situation, this memory, um, this interaction, uh, this dealing with this person, does it light you up? Does it bring you down? What is your body saying about it? And how do we shift that? We don't just dump things that, you know, don't feel good. We wouldn't, you know, some people do that, but their life is looks very interesting if they do that. We don't do that, you know? And then especially for tour observant, then we've got that higher intention above us. So yeah, we might be hungry and not want to eat the banana at the airport, but, you know, we're not going to eat non-kosher because we have that higher intention. So we always put halacha above us. And then we try to align with not just halacha, but we align personally with um, our soul and our soul's path. And again, that's through the body and all these other different, um, I guess, methods and information and tools. How do we get there? I love that. Wow. Wow. It's, it's so interesting, you know, to get, you said to get honest with yourself, like we have to be honest with yourself. You know, I want to ask a very interesting question. Some of us are scared to be honest with ourselves. Which is, and when you say be honest with yourself, I mean, this is like in private, nobody else has to know about it. This is just within oh, us, yeah. you know, and we're still yeah. scared just within us in a closed room in a house with nobody in it. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to know, nobody's going to see anything and we still can't do it. Is there mm -hmm. something that you could say? Because like, this is such a phenomenon. I know many people like this and it, I feel like it gets people stuck and it, it holds them back. It does. It does for sure. It, it keeps them frozen. Yes. Their nervous system will freeze up. It'll keep them tight. Just because we get honest with ourselves doesn't mean that we're going to take paths that are hurtful to us and others. So exactly, I think that's yeah. important to know. Emotions are those physical sensations in the body. They, they, so some people think if I cry, I'm going to cry from forever. If I shout again, you can do silent screams. I'm going to shout forever. No, it doesn't work that way. You're allowing the flow of that energy inside and you will come out in a different place. So instead of holding it in, it's coming out, but it's coming out between you and your creator. Those are the only people in the room. So um, yeah, so it, it hurts us to be afraid to do that. And that's why we do need these tools and this guidance sometimes I have something called the roar process and that's on, you know, again, on my website, the um, there's a Dr. John Sorno people. A lot of people know about him from the mind body prescription. And he, he, he was a back doctor and people would come to him. He would do surgeries, all kinds of things. And 
um, he was finding that even after the herniated disc was fixed or something was fixed in them, they would come back and complain about a different part of their body or even the same part. He said, what's, what's happening? Why is this not working? And he started to look and realize that people keep rage inside, inner rage, just from being part of life or from childhood. And he said that that's why we need to turn in the realm of emotions. Um, we also need to combine it in physical. I don't, I don't, you know, agree with drop the physical. It's all emotional. You know, Hashem is the source of our healing. And sometimes Hashem heals through a surgery, through an aspirin, through somatic healing, through EFT, whatever it is. We don't know. We just ask Hashem, please give me a kind channel. And, and that's what we look for. So we don't have to be afraid. Again, if someone is afraid, then they need guidance. But um, yeah, but it, it's, it doesn't help us, you know, staying trapped in the body or our mind with limiting beliefs and thinking, you know, sometimes we're not going to like our spouses. Sometimes we're going to feel um, if a child is difficult, we're going to feel like, oh, I don't want to deal with them today. But it's okay to be honest, release it, and then, okay, what do I do with it? And to get either tools, intuition, something, and moving forward. How do I take care of myself and the other person in this situation? Right, exactly, exactly. And I think like once you can unclog that, unblock that, and not be afraid, then you can really move forward. Like that's the key yes, to moving forward. Key. Yeah, it is the key. It is the key. When people think they can avoid, they can't. They can't, it, you know, comes up in other ways, you know, in an ideal universe, you know, because we're Torah observant Jews. So we know everything Hashem does is for the best. Everything Hashem does is good, but we're human being and it doesn't feel like that a lot of the time yes. and people are really suffering now. <laughs> so yes. not everybody is a righteous person at Sadiq where they can just go, oh, I know it's so good. No, we're human. We have experiences. It doesn't feel good. You know, what do you do with it? So spirit, we have to be careful of spiritual bypasses. It's part of that should. I know I should. Da, da. You know it's good on some level, some spiritual level, some something, even some physical level. And it hurts. What do you do with the hurt? What do you do with the hurt? You do somatics. You do compassion exercises. You do something because you're a walking nervous system. Angels don't have nervous systems, but we do. And right. your body's reacting to things. Plus, it's giving you guidance. If that coworker keeps coming into your space, keeps wanting um, you know, to pry into your private life, you might feel, you know, a, a constriction in your chest. Your your body might go like this, you know. Right. But if your mind is saying, no, I should judge positively, you're not going to get the information you need, which is Hey, we do use, we do use like Kabbalistic, we, we use Chesed, we use Gevorah, we use Hod, we use Netza. We need those energies to know, do I avoid this person? Do I set boundaries? Do I wear headphones so that, you know, I don't have to interact with them or I don't choose to interact with them? We need to know from our body if someone is um, a borderline narcissist. I do a lot of um, work with people who are victims of that kind of, you know, relationship. And wow, you know, if you are going to sit and always be a person, I'm always nice to people and I always judge people positively. 
you can be a ter- uh, a terrible victim of of that kind of person because that's what they feed off of you know energy vampires but your body will say your body might go like this or your your stomach might drop or your jaw might clench because something doesn't feel right you've got to know what's not feeling right not from intellectual perspective drop in to the body I think it's so fascinating. I want to ask you an interesting question because you're also a, a marriage coach. So you do mm-hmm. both, you know, yes. so um, you have an interesting vantage point. And, and and if you're not able to answer the question, it's okay because it's actually a really complicated one. Okay. So let's say, let's, um, let's say a woman is in a marriage and it's just not going well for whatever reason. And, you know, it, not just a fundamental reason, not just, you know, not just a reason like he doesn't take out the garbage or he said he, he would call me when he's running late and he doesn't or, um, you know, like something really deep, like their morals and values don't align, like something, you know, really like on that level, sure. you know, and it's an issue and the husband is just one way or maybe he's not even he has his own emotional blockage. So when she talks to him, the 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 words don't even penetrate his head. You know, it's just hard to talk to it's like to, I hate to use the expression talking to a wall, but like, that's kind of what it is. You're talking, you're not getting any response or any feedback back or any, any dialogue, because you know how I know a lot of therapists say, well, you have to talk to your husband and you have to have communication. So what if the woman is the only one communicating? What if there's nobody to communicate with, even if the person is sitting right across the couch from you? Like, I mean, this is, it's a very real dilemma. That's why like I'm bringing it up. And I was wondering you know, if you drop into your body, your body might say, this doesn't feel right. This relationship doesn't feel right. Or the situation mm. with this person doesn't feel right. And your body is telling you one thing, you know, like, like run for the hills. And your mind is saying, but I'm married and we have kids and we have financial obligations. Just we can't. So there really is a big dichotomy from your, 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 your body that you're dropping into and your mind. It's like, what does one do in that kind of situation? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't get these all the time. Obviously, these are people who are signing up for this kind of help. People don't sign up when things are going fantastic. Yes. So um, it is complicated, but in ways it's not complicated. A marriage therapist who are saying you've got to communicate with your husband and be open. I don't agree with. I don't agree with. Um, I've trained with Laura Doyle and I know that she can be controversial. Uh, I love the training. I love her books. I love her skills. I think it's amazing. The piece that I think is missing is the somatics. So that's where that's where you get both. You get to be completely honest with your body, yourself, your mind, um, with the with somatic tools. At the same time, you have a higher intention, or a woman might have a higher intention of staying in this marriage. She, on some level, she loves him. On another level, she's got kids. There's a whole different, re- like all reasons that women want to stay married. Yeah. So how can we use, we use somatics and how can we use marriage skills that work better than just, just tell your husband what you think or just communicate? No, that doesn't work. Again, men, men come from a different culture. It doesn't work that way. I'll give even one little example. Um, so I was, I was on a call with my husband, an interview with someone and we were sharing something that was very eye-opening to me. Uh, one of Laura Doyle's techniques is to say, I'd like or I'd love without the word you. Now, this does not come natural to women at all. It's not intuitive. <laughs> it feels weird. It, it's like, what's going on here? You know. But I do feel like Hashem brought so much beautiful wisdom through this woman. I, I think marriages are being saved all the time. So again, because men come from a different culture, a man would never 
say to his friend who's driving the car, park there, that's a great spot. They don't do it. Women do it all the time. And it's like, thank you for being so helpful. You know, but for a man, it feels controlling. It feels like, don't you trust me to pick out a parking space? So that's where the man could go into the flight, get me out of here or fight. Who do you think you are telling me where to park? You know, yeah. and she could just be like, ah, I just gave a suggestion. Those are the small things that people fight about. Anyway, so I was on this call with uh, with my husband. We were talking to the interviewer was a man. We were talking about marriage. And I said that, um, you know, one time I was in an Uber with my husband. We were sitting in the back seat. My, I tend to put on the seatbelt right away. My husband tends to, you know, hesitate, wait, whatever. So I said, Tim, could you get your seatbelt on? Not Laura Dial style, not, you know, whatever. I just couldn't figure it out at the time. So, uh, so he, you know, he put it on. And I said to him, now, how would I say that using I'd love or I'd like without the word you? So he said, I'd love, he knew right away. He said, I'd love your seatbelt on. And I said, does it really make a difference? He said, yes. He said, the first way, could you get your seatbelt on feels controlling. I'd love your seatbelt on feels connecting and kind and caring. And the other man, the man who was interviewed, I said, oh my gosh, yes, that's exactly right. That's how I feel when my wife turns around. She says, could you get your seatbelt? Like it doesn't feel good to them, you know? So it was, again, it's eye-opening. It wasn't the word you, it was the word your seatbelt. Those little shifts and changes make a huge difference for marriages, huge, like gigantic. Wow. In, one, in one day, it can make a difference because again, we're all walking nervous systems. So the husband is this way, the woman is this way. She might be speaking in a way that makes him, his nervous system want to shut down, run for the hills, fight back. She obviously is in a space that she doesn't feel good. So that's why we process what's in the body with honesty and everything else. And um, we also then dive into what skills are going to work because you want to stay in this marriage and miracles happen. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. And then things are reframed. We also have limiting beliefs. We also have shadows. We can be judging someone so easily. They're always like this. They always do that. I would never do that. That's a shadow. It's a shadow because we usually have all the pieces in us as well. So we don't, again, we don't skip our honesty. We don't leave our discernment behind. You don't have to like something everybody does, but um, you also need to own the shadow because if you're walking around thinking, I never do this. I never speak badly about people. I never would hurt anyone. It's not true. We're all human. So when we own those pieces of ourselves that we've pushed away, we come much more compassionately and with connection to other people, especially in our marriage. I love that because you're right. We're not perfect. We, you know, listen, we, we also judge. We also do things that we're not supposed to do things that we'd rather not do. We just sometimes we have bad habits. So just sometimes those things are part of us. And then yeah, we, we make bad decisions. Yes. We're lazy. All of us yes. have those pieces. Yes. And you know, it's so funny because then when we, when we see those characteristics that we don't like in us, when we see those in other people, especially in our husbands, it makes us so mad. Yeah. It really, yeah. it's like a mirror reflection of what's going on inside of us. Like those characteristics that we really wish we can get rid of or improve. Right. And so I have like shadow exercises for owning that through the body. And, and then again, it just, it just switches something inside the, the neural pathways inside the body. And 
you're just a new being that like each session that I do, it has a healing component to it because of the going into the body. So it's not just like talk therapy or let's try to work it out in the mind. No, we're dropping into the body and that's where the healing is. I was going to say, when you drop into the body, like I'm talking to you more and having a better understanding now of somatic healing, that's yeah. where the real, the core healing takes place in the mm-hmm. body, not so much in the mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Cause um, you can't necessarily just switch thoughts. You can't. Right. You can try. And I love affirmations. Affirmations are great. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. Fill yourself up, fill your life up and your body and your, your everything with good stuff. We want to be surrounded by kind people, wonderful phrases, something that when I was in a lot of pain, that time that I told you about part of my healing journey had to do with simple creativity. I started to collage because what you put your attention on, that's where your energy goes. So um, my mentor once said that she was on a plane with a white water rafter. And she said, how do you avoid the rocks? He says, I go where the water is going. He follows the water, the path of the water. So when we collage, simple collaging, not for anyone else, not as a vision board, no shoulds, just opening up a magazine or opening up a, even an advertisement flyer, soft surroundings or whatever they're called. And, and the words or the pictures or something appeals to us. We feel that as an uplift in our body. We put it on paper, put it on paper, put it on paper and just start paying attention to like, wow, I love gardening. I love flowers. I love that word. And it starts uplifting your body. And then again, since your attention is going to more kindness, more whatever it is that uplifts your soul and your own individuality, that's where more energy will go. And Hashem can also open doors and make all those opportunities and possibilities available to you. Wow. The the collage, the collage, I'm trying to envision it. Is it like a vision board? Like, is it something that you would post in your room or something like that? Yeah, it's not a vision board. Um because it's not, you don't have to envision the future. So here, here's a simple one. Maybe you can see. Okay, there yes. That, so it says delight in the unexpected. So this is like a little one. Um, let's see. I love that. Miriam's song. I found this. Uh, this. These are just simple creativity. Doesn't have to be artistic. And it's whatever I found in you know, magazines, flyers, that the words felt good to me. Again, paying attention to the body. I love this. I like this. Wow. That goes on the paper. Right. Like something that spoke to you, whether it was the color or the image mm-hmm. or the, the emotion that the image provoked. Yes. Yes. And I would, so that was part of my healing journey. I used to do it a lot. I also used to weave nests. I have on, um, on Facebook a, a page called The Welcoming Nest. Again, this was simple creativity, which I really suggest all women do, whether it's watercolor painting. And even for Rosh Chodesh, I gather a few women. We've been doing it for about four or five years now. And we just collage together, watercolor paint together and talk. And it's just, again, this simple creativity. Maybe no one else will ever see those pieces of art, but it's for us. And it makes a beautiful healing, you know, for us. But for a while, I was obsessed with weaving nests. I came up with a way to craft nests and I was weaving them and it just felt really good to me. So I encourage all women to find something 
um, that appeals to them. That's just creative. Paint rocks. You paint a rock. See. Oh, so cute. I love that. Oh, I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be positive. And you can listen to a sheer as you do it or just in silence or with music or outside or with your children and just just fill yourself up with the good stuff as much as possible because we're all dealing with heavy things, difficult things sometimes. And I always have flowers. I have a garden. I have flowers on my desk, fresh flowers. So Beautiful. And, I love flowers uh, too. Yeah. Fresh flowers. I have big crystal rocks. You know, there's an energy component to that. Some I learned from a Rabbitson. Just that's what women need to do. Also, and for me, when I started that journey so many years ago and I was in pain, I started with my closet. So in my closet, I just started hanging up some of my collages. I started um, if I found a feather that I liked, a rock that I liked, a shell that I liked. I'd put it on a shelf or somewhere in there. And it started with my closet just feeling better to me. I and painted the walls because it's just, oh, I didn't like the white. Let me put the different color. Inside, inside of your closet. Yeah, yeah because most closets are closet. white. You're right. Yeah. yeah, I wanted a different color. So it's so smart because when you change things outside of you, things inside change. And when you change the things inside of you, the things outside of you change too. It's very, very smart, very wisely said. <laughs> and, and I want to use, I love that you're talking about your healing because I, I really want to talk about God said what? Because you said mm -hmm. this is your, your memoir. This is like an actual, it's not fiction. Like it's That's an actual it. true story. Oh, I love this book. God said what? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a true story. So I grew up, um, I grew up next to Muncie, which is a very religious Orthodox neighborhood. And when my parents saw the religious people moving in, because I started, I started in Muncie. I had a house. My parents had a house in Muncie. I, I was just there visiting, and I took a picture of the old house. Uh, my parents said, "Move ten minutes down the road." So they they're Jewish, but they're you know secular. And my grandmother lit Shabbos candles, tried to keep kosher from the old country, but um, living in America and generation a generation skipped. You know, my parents weren't really that into it so and my when I would drive with my father through Muncie or go near Muncie there was a lot of fear a lot of fear it was like definitely they're them we're us the two paths never meet uh and then fast forward my life many many years later I was you know just living in Berkeley California I graduated from a very liberal school I had actually gone to Duke University my first year was too conservative for me, get me out of here. And then I transferred to a place called Grinnell College in Iowa, very liberal and and small. And I liked that. It was great for my hippie self. And when I graduated, I went off to Berkeley to continue all that. And I loved working with animals and I, I loved the ocean. And so um, I got a letter from my ex-boyfriend from college and I call him an ex-boyfriend because we kind of not we had kind of lost touch he was traveling and learning abroad in Europe but the letter said Israel and I thought okay well that's strange and then when I opened it up he was telling me that he was he was learning in Israel in a yeshiva there he's not coming he was young, one year younger than me he's not coming back to finish college and he's wearing you know these white strings and a yarmulke and this is what he wants to do. 
And he's, you know, he gave the number and you should call me and you should come visit me. I thought, what is he doing? So I looked up, I went to the phone book and I looked up rabbi in the phone book. It was, you know, it was back then. We didn't have uh, cell phones back then. We used the corded phone. I called a rabbi up. It was like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. called a rabbi up and asked if I could come and ask him some questions. He said, sure. Got in the car, went over there. He looked at the envelope. He was very serious about it. You know, he saw the address. And when he read the letter, he said, your boyfriend's in a cult. And I was in shock. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, and you got to go rescue him. You got to go over there and get him out. And I I was, um, since, you know, I had lost touch with him, I was going to be going to Guatemala for the summer. And I was going to, you know, rescue refugees because that's what I was into. So I said, I have a ticket to Guatemala. I don't want to go to Israel. He said, well, then you're going to lose him. You're going to lose him and you're going to lose him as a friend, even like that's it. These guys don't come home. So I was like, what? <laughs> so I called him when I got back to, you know, the place I was living in Berkeley and argued with him for many hours. What are you doing? And then it was very funny. He told me to call a, a Berk another Berkeley rabbi. But when I heard that it was a Rebbitzin who answered the phone, I heard her New York Jewish accent. I hung up the phone. I mean, I was really scared. Not everybody has that experience with religious Jews where they're petrified of them. And I had never really met one before. So my book is like part, part like I take people um, on that journey that I went on as a 23-year-old um, very, like, very ignorant of, you know, Judaism. I was like a Hebrew school dropout, you know, that I went to Sunday Hebrew school classes and dropped out, didn't like it. Uh, when I would travel, people would ask me, what are you? I would avoid saying Jewish, you know, because I didn't believe in religion. So I take people on that journey as a 23-year-old as I discover and explore what this is. And there's a lot of twists and turns and I made it humorous because I want it. I want people to laugh because I think we have a lot of heavy things in the world today. And sometimes uh, the Jewish books out there can feel quite heavy. I wanted it to be fun and funny and come along with this journey. And so that we can all understand this together and also be inspired where the world is going. We're going towards Geula, the Rambam prophecy. And there's a unity happening, even with Jews and non-Jews. So the book was written. I wrote the book in mind to, to have everyone understand it, non-Jews, secular Jews, religious Jews. It didn't matter. And even my editors, they were not Jewish. So I knew that if something, if they couldn't understand something, I needed to explain it a different way. And it won an award from the Nonfiction Book Awards Association, which is totally not Jewish. And so I know it's making its way out there in the world in a beautiful way. It's gone to number one in uh, Kabbalah and mysticism, women in Judaism. And it's just very exciting to take people on this journey and also to give hope and inspiration that this is, we're going to a good place. We're going to uh, more unity in the world, even though it looks messy right now, but we can all do this together. We can bring lots of good stuff to this universe. Like we're all on the same team. You know, we might do it differently, not not just from our personalities, but a Jewish person has a different path than a non-Jewish path, you know, a non-Jewish path. But I've gotten emails and, um, you know, Amazon reviews from people of all different faiths. It doesn't matter. It's touching people's hearts and souls. So that's, that's the so book. Beautiful. Yeah. Is. And so, so what happened? Did you ever get to Israel or what happened with the guy? <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> 
So uh, I'd love people to read the book. So I'm not going to tell them. Uh, what okay, happened. it's the, the answer. I, I, I did jump on a plane and I did go to Israel. That happened. Okay, that happened. But it wasn't. It wasn't a smooth journey, and it's again. I write it in a humorous way, and yeah. Okay, so if we want to know what the, the conclusion for that was, we have to read the book. We have, well, it's so beautiful. I welcome you to read the book. <laughs> Thank you. And I will put a link in the show notes. If people are reading, you know, listening to this or watching this in the description of the podcast, I will write down on the link where people can go onto Amazon and click on the link and get the book. Perfect. So yes. Yeah, they can get it from Amazon. There's uh, many bookstores. There's two bookstores in Crown Heights. Merkaz Dam is selling it. Judaica World is selling it. It's being sold in Teaneck. I think that's called... Um, Judaica House. It's sold uh, in Florida. It's sold in California. So, and here in Chicago as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, you know, and many different people can, yeah, people can get it in many different ways. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Miriam, for joining us on America's Top Rebisons. It was really a pleasure to have you here with us and made this tremendous learning that we did today be for Rafua Shalema, for Miriam Badanita, Raphael Hayam Mayer Ben Sima Hasya, Svi Aryeh Ben Nechazistel, and also for Bina Eti Bat Sasha Elka. Thank you so much again. Amen. Amen. And thank you for this opportunity to spread more light. And thank you for spreading so much beautiful light in the world and connection and compassion and it's just, it's gorgeous what you're doing. So I'm glad that you figured out the technical aspects of a podcast. Good for you. We see you went on your soul journey. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you.